Because I think the secular worldview is the easiest to believe. <laughs> but I think the Christian worldview is the best explanation for the world that we live in. Today on the Surveyor podcast, we're sharing an episode from our friends at Christian Heritage London. So if you enjoy what you hear, do check out their other interviews. A link to the podcast is in the show notes. One of my friends and colleagues, Alan McClymon, was a guest on Christian Heritage London, talking about his experiences in Malaysia, sharing the good news of Jesus with others, his current work in London, and the part Hudson Taylor and C.S. Lewis have played in shaping Alan's walk with the Lord. So I hope that you enjoy it. This is the Christian Heritage London podcast from London. Well, it's a great privilege for me to be sitting here with none other than Alan McClymond, who is not from Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) Alan, you are the South East and London representative for the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, the OMF. Is that right? That's right. We're actually now called OMF International is the, the correct name. But my wife and I are part of a team of four of us that are based in London in the southeast of England. And uh, our job is to represent OMF to churches, but also to individuals, people that would like to think about joining the mission and being involved in mission work uh, amongst East Asian peoples, so Mm -hmm. people from East and Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. And so there's four of us, uh, and we have about 30 or 40 members from this particular region that we also support when they come back for home assignment and when they're out in the field as well by by praying for them. Mm -hmm. So you're you're associated with people who are going, but also you're associated with churches here. And uh, you yourself, you live in London, but you, but judging by your accent, are not from London. <laughs> That's true. When people ask me, I can either give them the short or the long answer, but there's really probably four places that I would consider I'm from. The first one would be Malaysia. Uh, my parents were missionaries with OMF uh, back in the 50s and 60s, and so I was born in Malaysia while they were working there. Malaysia is also close to our heart because when, we, when my wife and I joined OMF in 2003. Uh, that's where we were sent. So I was sent. We were sent there, and I taught for nearly ten years at a at Seminary Theology Malaysia, which is an interdenominational seminary in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And while we were there, we also had two daughters, and mm-hmm. so two of our daughters were born in Malaysia as well. Oh, wow. mm. So they have Malaysian passports. They no, that's much more <laughs> difficult to get. Um, but uh, yeah, Malaysia is so that that's that's one of the places that I consider that I'm from. Right. But I also feel that I'm a bit of a Londoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've come to London at different times over my life, and uh, although I don't always feel very English, uh, I think actually. I work cross-culturally when I'm mm. working with English people. Yes. Uh, yes. London is much more a cosmopolitan place, and so I feel very comfortable here in terms of the, the variety of people that I meet on, That's the, on right. the street. That's right. I, I, a friend was moving to London to plant a church, came from America, and uh, I said to him, you must understand, when you come to London, you don't have to learn a culture. I said, the first thing you ask anyone in London is, and where are you from? Mm-hmm. Because uh, we're, we're an international city, and if you feel like you don't fit in, that's that's your ticket. You're in, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the rest of us. You know, mm. we're all we're all brand new here. But of course, um, just around the corner from the building in which we're sitting, we had a a, a young man living, 
who did not come from London but ended up living here is Hudson Taylor. Have you heard of Hudson Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Of course. So uh, um, Hudson Taylor is the, the, the guy that started the China Inland Mission, which then became the OMF. So um, we just celebrated in 2015 our 150th anniversary of the starting of China, the China Inland Mission. Mm. And so Hudson Taylor is, is you know, one of the influential people in mission. Mm. I think some of the principles and some of the what really impressed me about him, I think, is the fervency with which he wanted to share the good news of the gospel mm. with people in China, Chinese oh, yes. people. Mm. So true. Fervency. We don't, yeah, it's something you can't take for granted at the moment. There's not a great deal of fervency, yearning for souls. Sounds a bit peculiar if, <laughs> by comparison with what we're presently hearing. But yeah, Hudson mm. Taylor. And I got the privilege of talking with uh, Dennis Balcom. Do you know the name? I don't know. Now, Dennis no. Balcom was someone who was working with the, uh, the, the, the Chinese church, the underground church. Uh, I haven't seen him since, I guess, the 90s. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, was, he, he was working among the, the, the Chinese, and I, he was seeing vast numbers of people in these massive meetings underground and mm-hmm. hidden in the countryside and so on. I said to him, do you, do you ever think about Hudson Taylor? He says, oh, yeah, this happened because of Hudson Taylor. It's a... It's a he would, he would see a straight line from revival in China, uh, where we sit, where they're talking about 100 million, mm-hmm. as I understand it. Uh, straight line, straight back to Hudson Taylor, which I thought was awesome. Especially yeah. as the magazine used to be called China's Millions. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Now it's um, now it's East Asia Billions is the the, the name of the magazine. So oh, it's, still, it's still it's still actually being produced. That's wonderful. Um, but I think one of the things that really impressed me with what Hudson Taylor did, he, his focus was on the inland provinces, hence the name, the China Inland Mission. So he wanted to go where other missionaries hadn't been. He didn't want to compete with other missionary organizations. And so that's why he went to these inland provinces. And I think one of the advantages of, of CIM and OMF is it was an interdenominational mission. It wasn't, in a sense, forced to make Anglican churches or make Baptist churches. And so it, it, made, it meant there was much more freedom to have indigenous churches that were much more reflective of the culture of China. Mm. And I think the, the house church movement was sort of a linked with that because it was the idea of, of being able to have a church quickly and easily without a lot of the, you know uh, church building and all of the right. paraphernalia that went with that. It's quite expensive to, to run. And, and actually having a church, you can do that as long as you've got the people, and that's really what that, um, makes a church, isn't it? Striking. Uh, the people. Mm. Yes, exactly. It was delightful. I was talking with Al Bath, the guy who helped oversee City to City, Keller's organization. And when I said to him, you know, a church isn't, when you've got a website, it doesn't make you a church. He just laughed because mm. he knows a church is the, it's the friendships, it's the people, it's the, as we come to him, we're being built together. And that was, that's a, that's a precious thing that you have with the, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a fascinating observation as well. And also because you've got characters like Roland Allen, the, mm-hmm. the missionary uh, pioneer, who was saying that at a time when, similar to Hudson Taylor, uh, they were both saying things which people were saying, my goodness, what are you talking about not having organs? You know, <laughs> It was completely peculiar. But now we say, no, 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 these guys were ahead of the curve. But they weren't just innovative. They were just opening the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just finding it in the text. And similarly, we find with J.H. Bavink, you know, who's so helping us on cross-cultural mission mm-hmm. now from being a missionary in Indonesia or Java, as it was called then. So helpful to us in London, who, 
uh, we are surrounded by people who, who, who are not from London. Mm -hmm. So you yourself, you're from Malaysia. Where else were you coming from? Okay, well, the, the <laughs> accent comes from New Zealand. So um, I grew up in New Zealand. When, once my, my parents had finished working with OMF, we went back to live in Cambridge. Uh, so my, my only claim to fame is that we live really close to Hobbiton. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and I had an English education, a, a Cambridge education. So that's uh, something I like to tell my English friends. So that was Cambridge, New Zealand. Oh, uh -huh. But I, I do feel um, close to New Zealand. That's where I went through high school. That's where I did my first um, degree, management degree. So when it, whenever there's uh, sporting events, that's how I feel this must be really my country because that's the one I support whenever the Olympics games are on or uh, and, or especially when rugby comes around. So the All Blacks are my team. Well, that's convenient. If the <laughs> team you have to support is the greatest in history, that's, uh, that's very convenient for you. Yeah, although they haven't been doing so well recently. We we, we, we got beaten twice last year, so that's not so good. <laughs> Welcome to England. <laughs> yeah, we got beaten twice. How we dreamed to say we got beaten twice. <laughs> Especially in football, yes. Mm. So yeah, so uh, New Zealand and uh, Cambridge, New Zealand, Malaysia, uh, and where else? Okay, so um, Greece, I think by adoption. So okay. my wife comes from Greece, and the, the irony there is that when we went to the Bible College and I started teaching in Malaysia, they asked me to teach Greek. Uh, so yeah. I can I can teach New Testament Greek, but I can't actually speak. Greek, uh -huh. much to my family's um, disappointment, unfortunately. <laughs> did, did your wife teach your children modern Greek? A little bit, a little mm -hmm. bit. They they learnt more from their grandparents when they go uh -huh. in the summer. Yeah, but uh, yeah, my wife comes from an area close to Thessaloniki, so I uh, we were married in a ch evangelical church in biblical Thessaloniki. So mm -hmm. there's not many people that can say that they were mm -hmm. married in a church that. Paul wrote a letter to. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> and uh, so do you remember how you first came to enjoy Christ, how you came to put your faith in the Lord? Well, I was very fortunate. I had Christian, Christian parents. Um, they were missionaries. But it was, a, it was a decision that I had to make. Mm. I think I made the for the wrong reasons originally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember hearing a very... Uh, hellfire sermon and I didn't want to go to hell. It sounded like a terrible place. And so I got my, what I like to call my fire insurance and I became a Christian because I was really scared of going to hell. Hmm. And actually for me, it was a good motivation. It was, it started me on the process of then having my own faith. And, uh, I was involved very much with the, the youth group in, in the town that I grew up in, in New Zealand. Um, but I think it was when after I finished university, I came to, to London here for a year, that, that's when it, I guess my faith really became my own. Mm. I think it, when I came here, it was the first time that I learned the difference between being alone and being lonely. Mm. And you can, <laughs> in New Zealand, I could be alone, but I knew that there were friends 10 minutes drive away. Or, but when I came to England for the first time, there was very few people that I knew at all in London. And most of the people that I ended up getting to know were non-Christians. And it was sort of having to sort of think through the fact that I believe these people had um, a lost eternity, even though they were much nicer often than, than some of the Christian friends that I knew back in New Zealand. That, that really got me thinking. So, yeah, that, that's when I think there's probably two or three things that really helped me that year. Going to All Souls and, um, and hearing John Stott preach was probably one of the most influential as I look back. Mm. Uh, because it was the first time I heard preaching that was 
intellectually coherent, that, that made sense. I've always said that I don't think John Stott was a particularly sort of like emotive preacher. He didn't get you sort of uh, the blood boiling, but there was just after a while you started to think like him and, and you began to approach the Bible like him and, and look for the, you know, the meaning in the, in the text and then how that can then be applied today. And that, that, that really made a big difference for me. Oh, that's, cool. that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. What a, what a precious testimony to someone who made such an influence. It was, I was talking with um, Ken Brownell on, uh, about this, and he was saying, if you read the, the church history books for the 20th century, mm. you, they'll be all about the ecumenical movement and various <laughs> political movements. And you look in the index for Stott and Lloyd-Jones, mm. and they'll rarely be mentioned. He says they were the most significant people in the 20th century. Mm. I think that's, uh, and so many people can put their roots back into these people who, uh, as you saw them, you you, you got your roots <laughs> refreshed by them. So how was it you came to be in London? Yeah, so I, I finished university. I did a management degree to begin with. And um, then I came over to London for my overseas experience, we call it in New Zealand. Yeah. And uh, I got an accounting job here. And um, I had a fantastic year looking around Europe. I think one of the things that I, um, I love about London and I love about Greece is the history. Uh, New Zealand has Maori history, but you can't see a lot of it. Whereas I still, I, I still love walking down Fleet Street and um, going in our church is on, the, is on the corner between Oxford Street and Regent Street, wow. which are on, on the Monopoly board, you know. Yeah. So it's, 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 it, for me, it, it was very exciting to, to be in, in, a, in a city with so much history. Uh, and then as, as, um, as you're very involved in the Christian history of, of the city, I, I also um, found that fascinating to sort mm. of see, see the connections with, with our Christian past. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So you were here studying and, and then you, uh, you went into some sort of financial work before you went to work for OMF. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, um, I worked for JP Morgan, an investment bank. And, um, you know, you, you ask questions about uh, often of yourselves, what, what, what do you live for? And when I was young, uh, especially in New Zealand, you lived for sport. That was the, the thing. And I used to play rugby. I used to, to run. And um, although I loved it, it was one of those things that even when you succeed, there's always more that you need to succeed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of, and then career was the sort of the next thing to live for. And one of the, my dreams had always been to have a job where I could travel and somebody else would pay for it. And I was very fortunate. Uh, I worked in the audit department and I ended up having, having jobs to do throughout Europe. I spent three or four months in America and in, in New York and uh, and went to Asia as well. So I was able to, to do do all of that and, and have J.P. Morgan pay for it. So again, it was sort of like a fulfillment of, of what I was really looking for. Mm-hmm. But then I also at the same time, when I was doing that, I also realized that it wasn't going to be what I really uh, wanted to give my life for. And in the background was always the sort of the mission call or the, the, the real desire to see other people hear the gospel yes. and actually not just hear the gospel, but um, come to faith and be discipled, you know, so that they really understood what they believed. And, and that's really, I think, as I've gone on my journey, the point that I've come to, to say that, you know, it's, for me, it's not just enough for people to hear the gospel. I want them to really have it touch their lives so that they're changed by it. Yes. Amen. That's right. Yeah, mm. We don't want someone just to pray a prayer. We, we, this, and the fascinating thing is, Jolly Hudson Taylor, when he 
decided he's going to go to China. One of the things I most love about his story is that when he was here, the person with whom he was staying, Mm -hmm. I think he was in Brighton, he led him to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And you get this sense that before he had become the Hudson Taylor of history, he was just a guy, Mm -hmm. but there was this authenticity. He was in the trenches. He was as a private, he was fighting with his might. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it's a picture. It's a picture of something which is replicable, something mm. which, is, which can be multiplied. Let's have some more Hudson Taylors, <laughs> someone who yearns to see people saved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. No, well, I, I think what, what really impressed me about him was um, just the preparation that he got involved in. Even before he went to China, uh, he would seek to live by faith, but he would also – he used to sleep on a bare board in London to prepare him so that he could sleep anywhere when he went to China. So he was – always thinking ahead on how he could do that. He had initially went out with another organization and was there and came back a broken man physically and health-wise. Health uh, in fact, the doctor told him that he wasn't going to ever be able to go back to China again. So to me, it makes it even more remarkable that he then went back um, and founded a new mission because I think there's that, that first time you go out when you're, you know, he was only a young man, 19, 20, 21, uh, you don't know what to expect. <laughs> and so in a sense, you go out blind. But he went back knowing the difficulties, knowing the challenges of, of living mm. in, in China. I mean, one, one out of four people that went to China would die before they, they, they were there for more than five years. So he, he had a 25% mortality <laughs> that he just had to, to, to trust the Lord for. So I think a lot of people went out and 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 I guess what really strikes me is that just the passion to 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 save the lost and for people to hear the gospel um, of those people and and how that can inspire us to mm. that same kind of faithfulness. So mm. true. The, the the heroes of London's churches we love to talk about on the Christian Heritage London tour. We keep finding the heroes. They had heroes, and you'll find. So, for example, Spurgeon. One of his heroes was John Newton. But John Newton's hero was George Whitfield, and, and and Whitfield he's looking back and he's quoting from Luther, Tyndale, and so on. He says Tyndale uh, was um, Huss was quoting Tyndale, and mm-hmm. Tyndale was just down the road from where, where Wesley is converted. And you see uh-huh. these people looking back to others, and it concerns me so much, Alan. When you think you got young people now who you know how few of them would pick up a biography. You mm. know? And yet you and I know your life has changed as you read Mrs. Howard Taylor. You know, I remember reading that while I was in Hong Kong with uh, Jackie Pullinger and uh, reading through the simplicity of this man's, uh, it felt so healthy, this devotion, <laughs> his dependence on the faithfulness of Christ and the simplicity of, uh, of that, uh, uh, of his delight in the gospel. Isn't that, was it was Roger Steer called his, you know, that was his mm-hmm. thing of George Muller, delighted in mm-hmm. God. But that uh, these people have made such an impact. It's striking, isn't it? When God gives us a book, it isn't a mm. textbook. It's <laughs> a bunch of stories, yeah. biographies, and, they, and and I mean, I, I think that that's what we're trying to do actually in OMF at the moment. So we've got a couple of new biographies, but they're very small biographies of people that are actually working in the field at the moment. So we've just published one, I think, at the end of last year, um, called "The Life I Now Live" by Joelle Kenny. And it's just her experience today in Cambodia. And she's actually literally there as we're speaking now. But she is able to tell her story quite simply and hopefully will inspire another generation to um, 
to consider mission and consider the cost of mission. I think that's the, the thing that we we get a lot of people actually interestingly enough that want to use their skills in mission and that's great. You know, we we would love we'd love people to do that, but also we'd love them to be flexible enough to be available to God whatever he calls them to. And I think that's that's the challenge nowadays is are you willing to because sometimes it's not exciting work that you're involved in, but it's actually hard slog, uh, the things that, that Joel Kenny has been doing. But you can see the fruit if you're prepared to put in the time. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're having, we've been trying to plant a church on our estate up the road for 12 years. Mm. And we're now, we're, we're week for week, uh, month, months and months, we just go and go and visit people. Hi. Mm. Invite them around to come play video games, whatever, and we, it feels very. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of fruit going on, mm. but we do have the sense that having been there, mm. people now see uh, we can, we know you, we trust you, and you think that's interesting. Mm. He's, uh, how, how, how does how does God save people? He saves people by. Uh, Mm. <laughs> he says people by the local church mm. and people actually locally among them embodying this gospel and that's uh, yeah that's yeah. precious yeah, that's is true. there anyone particular who uh, from history who's been an inspiration to you and how well i was just going to say well, uh, after uh, after i worked in, in the bank i then went and did a, a bachelor of divinity it was so a, a, i went back to new zealand and i studied in new zealand the first sort of like biblical degree that i did uh-huh. and the thing that really s- stood out for me was was church history. I think when you go to a church, you hear people tell you about the New Testament and the Old Testament, and you have some understanding of theology, but you don't really really get sermons on church history. But what really inspired me was just people from all these different generations that had had an impact and really cared about. Sometimes I think we're the only generation that we think we're the only generation that cares about being a Christian. <laughs> Actually, uh, every generation has done that. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of people that have really influenced me long term, I think that the two big ones would be John Stott and C.S. Lewis. I, I really, again, just the way that he approached things and thought through the issues. And he just says some very sort of like, almost banal things, and then he goes into the implications of those things, and all of a sudden you go, oh, yes, that's right, that's right. And it's that kind of excitement that I, yeah. I love yeah, 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 when yeah. I read him. Yeah. Yes. I'm reading, uh, just trying to read, um, just try, I'm sure you've had the experience of reading Narnia to your children, mm-hmm. and you find, just, just make sure you're not in a public place, <laughs> because you it becomes embarrassing. <laughs> you know, I was trying to read. I was trying to read the resurrection of of uh, of Aslan like, to my yeah. son in a cafe, and I'm like, it's, I can see this. <laughs> oh, no. There's a guy at the next table, and he's, I'm looking up, and he's looking at me because <laughs> I can't read now. This is mm. breaking me. But uh, we're just going through. Um, uh, we're going through the bit in the silver chair, presently. It's awesome, but there's something. Uh, there's, there's, I was talking with Tim Dieppe the other mm. day. And we just this issue. It's um, uh, there's something of genius mm. wherein he says something you think I already knew that. Mm. And, yeah, that's interesting because you feel you know you wouldn't have put it that way there, but he sees through something. He's a mm. great. He's been of great help, hasn't he? As, a, as old C.S. Lewis. Yeah, and actually, just recently, I um, there's a new movie that. Have you seen the new movie that Loved just came that. out? Yeah. Loved that. And uh, yeah, I just I, I like the way that it was able to sort of show the sort of process almost that he went through in terms of his conversion that was really uh, yeah and uh, much of it was straight from surprised by joy mm. 
Yeah, it was a great drink. It was uh, highly recommend, very good quality. And Max McLean, he's great. I listened to his whole. <laughs> Max McLean, who plays C.S. Lewis, mm. has read the whole Bible onto, into, uh, and, and as an actor. Yeah, yeah. You know, so when he's reading, you know, the kings, and he says, "And this king, he did." Right in the sight of the Lord, no. you go, oh. <laughs> and then when he get, when he's Timing reading, is everything. Yeah, <laughs> and he'll read, be reading Paul, and he, he gets into the argument, and then the way he'll read the Proverbs, he, he's a brilliant. He's a good actor. He's a good actor, mm. real actor. Mm. So um, now, did you ever you you heard Stott? Did you ever get any any time with him when you were there? In, in, uh, uh, un- unfortunately, not. My my wife ended up working at All Souls, oh, really? and so she would have lunch with him, uh-huh. but she was too scared to talk to him. But uh, <laughs> Uh, in the end, one of the reasons that I think that I, I got the job teaching at the Bible College in Malaysia was that I got a letter of introduction from him. Oh, uh, and wow. so that, that was a, a good thing to have. But, yeah, I, I, I never really spent a lot of time with him, uh, but I really appreciated his preaching ministry. I think that that's what really spoke to me. And then also... This, this idea of double listening was his, his big thing. The idea of listening to scripture and then listening to society and, and, and really like being led by scripture in your understanding, but then also applying that understanding to the issues that, that people are facing today. Yes. And I think that the challenge is always, do we read the Bible enough to get that understanding of scripture? Right. And then at the same time, equally read society so that we are actually showing the relevance of the Bible to society. I mean, mm. I think, uh, especially with the issues that we're facing today, for me, the Bible is, is, is kind of like a textbook on how human beings should live. <laughs> uh, and it's revelation of that. It's, it's like a manual on how, how human beings should live. Uh, and so when you start challenging that, uh, to me, it's challenging the gospel. So, and, mm. and, and, I, and I really do uh, see that it has the answers to a lot of the issues that we're facing today. Mm. And um, and we need to sort of show people that it's got those answers, I think. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there must be – yeah. And the, the, the irony is that most people think that we're about to start saying this is what you should do, this is what you should mm. do, this is how you should behave. And we're instead coming in saying no, no, we've realized all we bring to the table is we needed to be mm. – we needed to be saved. Interesting also when you talk about what the, the world is yearning for <laughs> – Clarity. Mm. It is striking, isn't it? At the moment, where, where so many of the the extremes to which the world is going, mm. and the, and the new the new things we're required to believe to be to be acceptable. But what's striking, to, I find interesting, is that the world itself is saying, "Hang on, this is going a bit too far, isn't it?" Mm. And so you're getting people who are who are complete non-believers saying, "No, no, I just don't agree with this. This, is, this stuff's coming up." And but there is no cogent answer. Mm. There's just this doesn't taste right. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think that's the, that's the whole thing, I think, about worldviews. I think the secular worldview is the easiest to believe. <laughs> but I think the Christian worldview is the best explanation for the world that we live in. Uh-huh. Once, you, once you accept um, the spiritual world and a biblical understanding, then you can have answers. The, yes. the problem for me is that with a secular worldview, in a sense, you can't really get answers because you end up with a, a relativistic world that, that doesn't think that there are any answers. Yeah, mm. yeah that's right. And the, Lloyd-Jones said uh, you don't, the, the, the Christian has to think, actually mm. has to think, whereas um, unfortunately I've, I've 
the impulsive way of the of the present moment it doesn't so much require thought as an emotion outrage mm. <laughs> as, as indignation if i'm indignation if i got indignation then i'm I've, that solves yeah. all my all my questions <laughs> i really feel something mm. yes it's striking so um now what what's up what are you up to now what's new with you now adam well i guess one of the things that that I've been doing for the last few years, and I finally finished, was I did a doctorate. And I was looking at OMF in West Malaysia, and, and, and I came to it and asked, well, what difference did the missionaries that went to Malaysia make? And that was really my, my thesis. The interesting thing about West Malaysia, which is where I was looking, was that after independence, many people thought that the church in Malaysia and Singapore would die out because the uh, the, the the English people that were there were no longer there. They were the ones that were the Christians. The people that were left were Chinese people who were Buddhist or Malay people who were Muslim or Indian people who were Hindu. So there was no there was no people group to be associated with Christianity anymore and it would just die out. What we've found is that the church has continued to grow uh, after independence in Malaysia. And so one of the questions I was trying to find out was, you know, what, what has caused this growth? Mm. And and I think one of the the answers was that I, I do believe that missionaries played an important part in that, in that they were able to provide an alternative to secular belief. You know, there were there were people that wanted to to embrace Western society, but they didn't like the the godlessness of it. <laughs> and and uh, and I think that missionaries wow. provided an alternative that that allowed them to accept that modernity, but also at the same time see it in in terms of a, a christian worldview and and we see a lot of people that were converted at that time and that, that are now church leaders and so when i went to malaysia i would continually meet or quite often meet people that would say oh yes i remember this missionary that uh, when i was in the new villages they would come out and they would have a church service on a sunday or oh yes i remember this missionary um, i used to do a correspondence course on on the the book of acts and uh, they would they would write the answers and, and send me back and it's it's it was that sort of anecdotal evidence i guess that really sort of got me thinking about maybe maybe missionaries made a bit more difference than, than we tend to <laughs> credit them with striking wow yeah when you actually get down to the grassroots yeah is what you're finding that's right and i and i think you know um what I what I hope to do with that, if I can, is to try and encourage people in Malaysia, Malaysian Christians, to rediscover their 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 Christian history. Uh, you know, the, there there have been Christian mission and and Christian activities going on in Malaysia since the early 1800s, and even before that, with um, with Catholic uh, people coming in. And I'd I'd, I'd love for people to see that they've actually got that spiritual heritage in the same way that, you know, we have a spiritual heritage going back in the UK yeah. thousands of years. And I think yeah. that's, that helps us to see that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Oh, you know? and, and that, I think, is really important in today's oh, yeah. society. That's so true. so true. Here's a couple of categories for you. I've heard Tim Keller make a point that it's, he says there's disintegration and there's integration. Mm -hmm. Disintegration. If you see things in those terms, Christianity has brought about integration in a sense. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and if you look at the, 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 the ideologies which are being pushed at the moment, are they really bringing about flourishing, life, beauty? Are they bringing about clarity? Are they bringing about peace? Are they bringing about substance? Uh, are they bringing about uh, safety? Mm. I was working for a poverty-fighting think tank in Westminster, and when we looked at the roots of many of the trusts, charities, and organizations which have established and helped the poor, 
we found again and again there were Christian organizations, mm. Christian families, and there was a, they had brought about integration. And there was, because uh, of course uh, London in the 1700s was, ext- was horrible, dangerous, mm. wicked, and, and, uh, and anarchic. Um, and low value of life and so on. Mm. And you find Christians got involved, Christians got involved. The, the significance of the Thornton family, the, 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 the Quakers, the Christians mm. who just served quietly. And now we see, well, at the time probably didn't look like they were doing so much, but they essentially put foundations, pillars in. And it's striking as you look at some of the crests. Mm. You know, you walk through London and you see the, the city of London's own crest. There's mm-hmm. Lord direct us. Yes. There's this kind of, there were people, I think it's interesting because the city of London survived. I wonder why that would be. There were <laughs> people saying, Lord direct us, help us. You know, it's interesting, interesting to say the least. That's fascinating. Well, I think that's one of the, the, the challenges really is, is how can you see that? We, we, yeah. when, when, you, when you look at history, you're looking at for... I don't know institutions. You're looking for buildings, and yes. actually, it's 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 when you it's 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 these movements. It's these um, links between different different people. You know what 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 struck me when I was looking at Hudson Taylor is why he moved to Newington Green, and one of the main reasons is because of the Mild May Institutes, which were running there, which was a an organisation that was run by the Anglican minister there to train women to do nursing and but also to be involved in mission and in the end that particular organization produced mild may nurses that would go into the east end and that that was their mission field going into the east end and and i read about them and i was just amazed at what god had done through them so that towards the end of the the 19th century these mild may nurses were able to go into areas in east london that the the police were too frightened to go into they had a (laughs) uniform so that people could know who they were Wow, hmm. that's outstanding. And yeah. as you say, people will look now and they'll look at institutions, they'll look at buildings, and those are, <laughs> yes, that's nothing to do with the people at the mm-hmm. time. And many of them, many of them have forgotten, like the one you're mentioning at the moment who's in Cambodia, mm-hmm. who'll be forgotten. Tell you where she's not forgotten. Oh. She's not forgotten in eternity. She's not forgotten by the Lamb. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that's truth. Yeah, that's true, and I, and I think that's the the challenge for us today is that we're so results orientated. We we want to see the church building built or the the toilet produced, and 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 actually a lot of the the, the kinds of things that I found when I did my research is that it takes two or three generations for the the impact of those missionaries to really be felt, and so it's it's really the kids that were in the fifties and sixties became the 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 busy people in the 70s and 80s and then they became the church leaders in the 80s and 90s and they're the ones that have really um, helped the church to continue to grow uh in in west malaysia but it's because it's because we want to see the results today or we want to see the results so quickly that we, we're always focused on if we can't get the results quickly then we have to change our, our method there must be something wrong with what we're doing but actually what god is wanting is calling on us to do is be faithful not to be productive his, his that's his job is the, the productive side of things often and we need to be faithful in what we're doing in terms of living for christ i think but also in proclaiming the gospel uh, faithfully to to others and that's where i think if we can do that for a sustained period of time then um that's going to really have an impact in the places that we're living yeah bless god that's true mm. that's wonderful and provable mm. that's glorious yeah anyone listening the uh, the books by Rodney Stark very helpful on that rise of Christianity you see that again and again mm. grassroots serving no one looking and changing the world yeah. <laughs> any book you'd recommend on that 
I mean, just one to, to sort of, I, I guess, really excite you about the importance of Christianity early on is, is Norwich's history of the Byzantium, I think it's called, a three book, it's a three volume, it's on on the um, the growth of, well, it's, it's really the growth of the Byzantine Empire, but you see so much of the of Christianity because that, that that's integral to all that's happening in that and that, uh, that Norwich I think is the guy that wrote it. Wow. It's very, very yeah, it's, it's, it's I, I like I really appreciated it. reading that. You kind of read between the lines a bit. Mm. Sweet. Yeah. It's not it's not a it's not a Christian book, it's, right. but it, it does it does show you just the impact I think of Christianity. Superb. Mm. Uh, is your is your work being published? Is your PhD going to be published? Um, not at the moment. That's that's still something that mm-hmm. um, I need to to get on to but there is the academic side of things but i think the, the, the bit that i said before that I'm, I'm most interested in is trying to encourage local people so um, i'm hoping later on this year i'll be going back to malaysia to teach a module and i just love to go to some of the churches that i mentioned that i've mentioned in my thesis just to encourage them as to their their spiritual heritage and so that they can grasp a little bit of where they've come from so that can help them in terms of where they're going to and I, and that's what I'd, I'd love i'd love to be able to do uh this year later on if i can beautiful now be, I, last question and this may, may sound um very <laughs> this may sound grand but mm. what advice would you give to people listening to this i was just thinking about this and there was a couple just a couple of things that um i thought about one is that um when i was growing up there was never any, nobody ever told me about dystopian, uh, but my children tell me about dystopian novels and dystopian books. And this, I think, it's a reflection of the sort of hopelessness that young people feel, I guess, looking at all of the problems that are in the world. And so, uh, I think my piece of advice is to continually remind ourselves that God is in control. I think sometimes we we think that if we don't do the right thing, then the whole world is going to go up in flames and it's going to be our fault. No, God is in control of all of these things. Uh, he's in control of climate. He's in control of, of nations. He's in control of it all. And he's in control on the macro scale so that we can, we can have that confidence and we can have a, a real hope um, because we know that he has, overcome, uh, he has overcome evil, he's overcome death. And so he can be trusted for the future. Amen. So I think that's, that's at the macro level. I mm. think you know we need to we need to have that view of the world because I think, especially if you just watch the news, mm. it wants to tell you the totally opposite that everything's out of control and uh, if it's it's all up to us and if we don't do the right thing, well, then we're in danger of annihilating ourselves. I think on a micro scale as well, that God is actually working in all of our lives all the time, and that uh, I think uh, we've been having a, a sermon series uh, on. First Corinthians six and seven at our, at our church. One of the things that that Charlie highlighted for us is the fact that we need to be Christians where we are now. Yes. Or in the position that we are in now. Yes. And the, there's always this: the grass is greener <laughs> on the other side. And if only I had this job, or if only I was uh, in this relationship, or if only I had something else, then I could start being a proper Christian. And, and I think what's 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 key to me now is that we need to be looking at what God's priorities are for our life. And often they don't involve the job that we're in, the relationship that we have. It's more about um, how selfish we are or how how generous we are with our time. It, it's about 
God wanting to make us into the people he wants us to be. Um, and just to finish maybe with a quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, we are like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves the forms of man. The blows of his hammer, which hurt us so much, are what make us perfect. Mm. And I think often we, we see adversity as something evil and bad, but actually sometimes God is sending that adversity to make us into better people. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. Anyone listen to this experiencing adversity? I suppose everyone is. Everyone is. And we think, oh, no, no, no. no. That's, when, when that's finished, then God will do something. Mm. No, no, no. He's in that with you. That's yeah. And again, that comes down to the reality of the gospel is he suffered for us. So he knows, he knows what we've gone through. He knows what we're going through. And to me, that's so much of a, a real comfort as opposed to what the world's answer to suffering is. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's right. This mm-hmm. isn't simply optimism. Mm-hmm. Someone went through it and it worked. He rose mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Amen. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for coming to see us, Alan. And uh, OMF mm-hmm. International is the name presently of China Inland Mission, mm-hmm. started by Hudson Taylor, a man who was hungry for souls to be saved. Would that God would raise up more mm-hmm. men and women hungry that souls would be saved, mm-hmm. in spite of what it looks like in their time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. For more episodes of the Christian Heritage London podcast and for information on Christian Heritage London events, tours and walks, please go to christianheritagelondon.org. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and thanks again to our friends at Christian Heritage London. Don't forget to check out their other great interviews on their show. Do hit subscribe to the Serve Asia podcast in your podcast app of choice so that you don't miss the next episode. And until then, hope you have a great day. Goodbye.